from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, this is Jennifer Reichert, producer of the Cry Havoc podcast. In this series of episodes, we take you inside one of Cry Havoc's classes for professional actors. In this first class of a recent session of Cry Havoc's scene study course, The Performance Only You Can Give, artistic director Kit Lavoie presents an overview of the philosophy and technique that inform all of Cry Havoc's acting work and our acting classes. This is the third episode in this three-part series. This episode picks up the discussion where the previous episode left off. We now join the class session in progress. Objectives and obstacles. Now again, I'm sure most of you have discussed objectives and obstacles in the world, the thing that you want, the thing that's keeping you from getting what you want. Some ways that I think it's helpful to think about objectives and obstacles, because again, the thing is, is you do not go through your life feeling things. I mean, you do, but that's not what you're doing. That's just what happens. You go through your life trying to make things happen. That's what you do as a person. So that's what you need to be doing as a person on stage. And the feelings come out of getting those things you're trying to get or being thwarted in getting those things that you try to get. If you pick something you're really trying to make happen and really try to make it happen on stage and it's not happening, you will get frustrated and angry. You will. Organically and genuinely if you really try to get the thing that you want. If you really try to get something and you want it, you will be delighted. But not if you get up there and pretend to try to get things that you want. You know, that's the trick, to get up and actually try to do things. And things that I, again, specific things about objectives is specific and achievable goals. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of times where it's like, what I've, I've heard, you know, different people talk about objectives or actions or whatever in different ways. And it's like, what are you, what's your action scene? I'm trying to seduce her. Okay, but what does that mean? How will you know? And I think that's always the question. You want to have your objective to be something that how will you know it has happened? And I can't tell you how many times in rehearsal I've heard how we you know. Well, I think I'll just see it in his eyes. All right, but that lets you off the hook. And I think it's that idea of what are you trying to do? I'm trying to get him to forgive you. <laughs> forgive me. How will you know? He'll hug me. Okay. All right, I can actually try to get the other actor to hug me. I can actually try to make that happen. And I don't have to play, get him to forgive me so he'll hug me. Because he's not going to hug me unless he forgives me. So I've just got to play, get him to hug me, and it's going to require me to get him to forgive me. But it becomes something where either it's binary. Either you're getting it or you're not. And when you're not, you can see how far it is, and you can actually be a person and strategize and try to figure out how am I going to get this from this person. Rather than... I'm trying to seduce. Okay, how will you know? How will you know that you've seduced? You know, and even if it is, I'm trying to get this person to have sex with me. You know what? Honestly, in, in, in uh, uh, a scene, the odds of your scene partner actually having sex with you is pretty low. So, you know, to figure out what is the thing that, can actually, that I can actually do to the other actor, that I can actually make the other person in the room do, especially in the exploratory parts of rehearsal that we're talking about before things are staged, but even when things are staged. You know, what is it that I can try to get them to do that is specific and, again, achievable? Something that can actually happen in the room that you're in, rather than something you've got to imagine whether it sort of would have happened if this was real life. 
And the objective doesn't have to be the thing you say you want, and it doesn't have to be the thing you end up getting. As a matter of fact, it probably rarely should be the thing that you end up getting. It's the thing that makes what happens in the scene important to you. And also critical, and this is, there are different schools of thoughts on this, but this is one thing I'm going to ask as we're working in this class that we really embrace the idea of, is I find most effective actions are about the other person. The scene is always about the other person, and your objective, if it's going to be effective, I think, should be about what you want the other person to do. Because if you could get what you wanted on your own, you would leave the room and go and get it. If you are having a scene, it is because the thing that you want is dependent on the other person doing something. So a much more effective objective than I want to seduce, I want her to kiss me. Okay, that's something she's got to do. And what I've got to do is figure out a way to negotiate the situation and influence her behavior in such a way that she is going to do that. I want her to leave the room. Okay, that's something I can do. I want her to go and tell my father it wasn't my fault. That's something I can do. I want to yell at her. Okay, good, yell. You know, but it's not going to give you anything to engage somebody over. But it's very easy once you find something about that I want to. This is something I'm trying to make them do. And again, it requires you to use your words as tools, not to report on this is the line I'm saying, but these words are the weapons I have to get this thing that I want. And that's what we're going to be working on. It makes the scene all the more alive and active and exciting. And it's that idea also of if the objective is about the other person, it makes the scene about changing them rather than beating them. That it's something specific that I need to change about them. It gives you something to actually do in the scene as a person rather than steamrolling. If it's just about, I just want to steamroll them. All right, well, that's going to be all one note. But if the idea is, I want them to submit to me, that's different. That's different. How, do I, how will I know that they will submit to me? Again, I would argue, at least in early rehearsals, what you want is rather than I want them to submit to me is I want them... This is a scene where you're my boss, I want you to submit to me. I want you to let me sit in your chair. I want you to offer me your chair. That will be a sure sign that you have submitted to me. Seriously, I guarantee you if, you, if you try to play the objective, get the boss to offer me his chair, you're going to discover all sorts of things about that that you would not discover if it was, I want to bully him or anything, you know, something like that. And the other thing is objectives also make you listen. Because if I, it's that kind of objective makes you listen because it's like I'm trying to change your behavior. So I need to understand what's important to you so I can use it against you. You know, and that's something that happens a lot of times I've noticed in improvs and things like that. If someone's like, I have an objective, you have an objective. I figured out what your objective is. So now I need to keep you from getting it. That happens all the time. But that's not the way life works. Oh my God, if I want something from you and I find out what you want, great! Now I just need to convince you that giving me what I want is going to give you what you want. Perfect. As opposed to, I know what you want, fuck you, you can't have it. No, you can have it if you give me what I want. That's the way life works. That's the way you want your character to work. And the other thing that I think is critically important is 
the idea that, and I think this is, this is uh, I mean, it, this will make sense in the context of everything else that we've talked about, the idea that the goal is not to find the character's objective. There's no such thing as the character's objective. What you want to find is my character's objective. The character in my body as I understand the world, what is it that I am trying to do? That your objective can be just as personal to you and just as something that activates the things that are essentially true about you and are most exciting about you just as much as your choice of character history can be. The thing that you choose to be fighting for in that scene, can you want to pick something that really engages you. Another example. Um, there's a play uh, called One for the Road. Have you guys ever read it by Harold Pinter? It's a good play. It's a one-act play that Harold Pinter wrote. And he wrote it for Amnesty International. Um, and it's all about, it's in this unnamed Eastern European country, and it's about this uh, uh, commandant of a prison who has arrested this family, a mother, father, and son, and the play, and they're being tortured. And the play consists entirely of the commandant of the prison where they're being tortured, interviewing first the father, then the mother, then the son, then the father again. And all of it is just, about, I mean, it's, horrible things are happening to them and his whole thing is he's just you know he's talking about so like are they raping you what is that like yeah they're going to do it again tonight yeah, I mean it's just this awful stuff it, yeah they, you know they're, they're going to pull out your fingernails to that's what they're going to do and you know that he's and I've seen this play done several times actually and it's very often that the character is just sort of you know god it's too bad what's happening and almost all the lines are from this guy. But I was directing it, and the guy who was playing the um, commandant, really great actor, Tim Davis, the guy with the lake of information, I mentioned earlier, great actor, he was having a really hard time connecting to that part, a really hard time connecting to that part. Because for him, torture just turned his stomach. And for me, it is too. I mean, torture, no one likes torture, but like that's the... <laughs> The idea that someone would consciously choose to do something awful to someone. I mean, because like Pulp Fiction has all sorts of stuff, people shooting each other's heads off, all sorts of terrible things that happen in it. But for me, the thing that I really can barely watch about that is the scene of Marcellus Wallace talking to the guys who have just raped him about what they're going to do to him. There's no actual violence in that scene, but like for me, the fact that it's like, this is what I am going to make happen to you. I just, I, it is so far, and it makes me panicky to think about. And certainly when I was directing this play, I was doing all sorts of reading about this psychology of torture. It was awful. But this guy, Tim, had a very, very similar reaction. And he was trying all sorts of work on, well, what would I be fighting for? What would I be fighting for that would be worth me torturing people? And he was really good at that kind of stuff. But really, he couldn't find that was making him understand it, that was making him get behind what was going on. And he was doing an awful lot of mustache twirling. You know, where he's like, oh, so what's going on? <laughs> and it was not good, and he knew it wasn't good. But then, he, but then one day we were in rehearsal, and he was like literally on the verge of tears. And he's like this big guy, martial artist. I mean, he's like, and he's like on the verge of tears because he's so fresh. He's like, I just don't understand why someone would torture someone. I hate the idea of it so much. I don't know how to get inside this guy's head. And I said, all right, 
Well, let's try this then. What if he hates torture? He hates torture as much as you do. And let's say he was the commandant of this prison when it was just a prison, before the coup. Now there's been a coup, there's new people in charge, and they have told you, we'll be sending people to this prison, we're going to torture them there, and you have to keep them until they tell us the information they want to know. So, you can't send them home until they tell you. But if they tell you, you can send them home. And it won't happen to them anymore. All of a sudden, Tim was in there and was, and this is the trick, fucking terrifying. He was terrifying in the role. Because when he was saying, are they raping you? It was entirely about fucking live it because it's going to happen again unless you tell me what you need to know. And why? Because it was going to happen again unless he told them. And he wanted to send them home. What he was playing was he was trying to save them. Part of the big trick of that was a lot of times we've seen him play is this guy with all the power in the world, what he did was took all of his character's power away. All of a sudden it wasn't about what I want. It was like my need is in you. I can't let you go until you tell me what I need to know. But again, what happened was he was trying to save these people's lives. He knew, and he did this work on, there's a guy downstairs with a hot pair of pliers, and he's going to rip out every one of their fingernails as soon as they leave this room, unless they've told you what they know. And he was trying his damnness to save them from it. But the only way, the only tools he had to save them from the lines in the play was to make them fear what was going to happen if they left this office without telling him. Now, again, that totally aligned with, that objective totally aligned with Tim's moral understanding of the world. And the performance totally, I mean, the entire point of it is to show the horrors of torture. Tim's family was from Iowa, flew in to see him in the show, and when it ended, left the theater and went back to their hotel room because they didn't want to talk to him because it was so horrifying what he did to those people. But what he was playing was not, I'm going to be horrifying and torture them. What he was playing was, I'm going to save them. I'm going to save them. But again, that idea of that because of his particular moral constellation and intellectual and emotional makeup, that idea of saving people from torture, the stakes were way up here were way up here for him. And so the things that he had to do in the scene, he did full throttle. Again, didn't break the play. Didn't break the play. But that's the kind of thing that we want to do. And the obstacles, the obstacles are the things that make the scene difficult for your character. And it's something, in Gene Lasko, I mentioned before, my teacher in grad school, I, I said something I always loved, which is the harder you make the scene on your character, the easier it is for you as an actor. The more problems you've got to actually solve in a scene, all you've got to do is get up there and solve them. You know, I'm here, I'm trying to get you to do this thing. I know I'm trying to keep this secret from you. I know you're trying to sabotage this. I know that you've got this thing, and I know that I've got to be someplace in five minutes. Okay, go. I don't have time to act. I just got to do stuff and be and try to fix the world. And that's the kind of thing that you want to set up for yourself. And again, you want to personalize those things because 
Again, it makes it more specific because it, it limits your choices, and so it makes your, your choices more specific. So it's like West Side Story. West Side Story. <laughs> Tony wants to be with Maria. Why can't Tony be with Maria? Because he's a shark and she's... No, which one is he? She's a shark <laughs> and he's a jet. Okay, you know what? I've never been in a singing gang. That does nothing. <laughs> you know, so like playing that objective is not helpful. But things that might work is I can never bring Maria home to meet my mom. All right, that might be something that's really effective for me because she's a shark and I'm a jack. It could mean that in order to find a place we can be together, we have to leave the city and I love the city. Maybe that's something that gets me there. It could be that I promised Riff that I won't do it, that I, that I will always stand, stand with him, and it would be breaking my word to Riff. If that idea, Tim actually is somebody yeah. who's deeply motivated by like that sort of nobility. I mean, that, that's like as an example, that's some, like, it's something that like that idea, I mean, I think I'm a highly ethical person, but that idea of like my word is my bond, there are, like, <laughs> like, I am not moved by that idea. I mean, I, you, you can trust me if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Or at least, no, that's it. Or I will tell you before I do something else, at least. <laughs> I'll at least come back and say, I know we talked about this thing, but it really isn't working out and we need to change our plan. But there are some people, Tim, for example, is like very like Midwest. If I say I'm going to do something, no matter what happens, I'm going to do that. But that's the sort of thing where it's like for him to play Tony and be like, I told Riff I would not do this. That would be enough for him to totally, to be a huge, huge obstacle for him in a different way than it would be for me. So it's why, again, the performance only you can give. You want to draw from the things that really move you. Or it could be, there's going to be retribution. If, if I get away with it, there's going to be retribution and not just for me. My friends are going to pay for this thing. But all of those things are things that are not explicitly stated in the text, but are things that you want to find an obstacle that moves you with the same power that your objective moves you. That's the thing. You want these things to be pulling at each other, the tension. You know, and something that I find really useful too along those lines and it's something we're going to work on in here or work with at least a lot in here is the idea of compound objectives and what I mean by that is to combine your objective with your obstacle by making your objective very specific so rather than saying this is what I want and this is why I can't have it uh, that can get very intellectual. It can get very intellectual trying to track the two things. But if you combine them and say, this is what I want, and these are the circumstances under which they have to happen, that has the same effect. So it's like, I want her to stay, but she has to apologize to me first. I want this relationship to work, but she has to apologize for what she wanted to do. So my objective is, to get her to apologize so we can stay together. You've combined those two things, it's your objective, it's your obstacle, in one highly playable, focused, specific thing that you can try. Um, and that way you're not sort of juggling two things, you've found a way to put the two things in one package. So that's something we're gonna you know, play with a lot and, and things like that. Also, I think just something that's worth mentioning, so many things worth mentioning, is the idea that, and I'm sure this is not true of anyone here, but 
I think a huge trap that actors fall into because I mean, it's sort of the thing about you know oh I because God I knew people when I was in graduate school this is true she can cry on cue she's such a good actor. <laughs> All right, um, but that idea that you're there to be emotional, whereas that's not ever what anyone is there to do. If you think in your life of the moments where you have started becoming emotional and feel like crying. It is always the last thing you want to do. You did this, you've hurt me, I'm trying to make you understand, and I'm starting to cry, and I'm looking like an idiot, and I need you to take me seriously. But when you're playing a scene, it's, it's, it's and I'm starting to cry, hold on, I better hold on to this, better hold on to this because I'm crying and it's acting. But <laughs> the great irony of it, though, is not if you tamp down on your emotion, but if you push through your emotion, it will grow. It's that idea of it's like, I am trying to convince you of this. I'm becoming emotional, but I'm not here to be emotional. I'm here to make my point. And you will become more emotional. And all of a sudden, your emotion becomes an obstacle in the scene rather than your objective. It's a much more truthful state of the human condition. And it's just a, and, and again, the irony is your emotion actually grows and becomes much more truthful the more you treat it as an obstacle the more you need to, to, to work through it. It's actually something, I don't know how many of you guys have seen the, because um, uh, it's making the rounds, so Stephen Colbert talking about his mother dying. It's on, because there's, on, I think it was last night. Was it it's last like night? night it was on the show, and he talked about his mother. But it actually is, watch that with that in mind. And the places where he become, starts becoming emotional and the way that he deals with it is so interesting in terms of the fact that it, his emotion in that moment is his obstacle, and it serves him very well as his obstacle. And it also is interesting to look at the things that make him emotional are not the things you would expect. And you can tell there's one thing that he says that is literally the most innocuous line in the entire thing that he talks about. I'm not going to give it away. I mean, watch it. But seriously, like the most innocuous thing that he says that totally pulls him up short. And you can tell it's because it's bringing up something specific for him that he doesn't say. But it's such a moving moment to watch him be moved by this memory of his mother that's not about him talking about his mother and crying about the memory he's talking about. It's about him trying to get through this tribute to his mother <coughs> on national television and do right by her at the same time. You know, so it's, um, it's that. Other things, you know about an in, in, in obstacle, the biggest favor you can do your scene partner and you guys should do for each other when you're working together is um, to be each other's obstacles. And not just to, you know, be difficult to be difficult, but don't be polite to your scene partner. Don't be polite to your scene partner. Don't, especially in here, especially in any rehearsal, I think. I mean, be polite to each other as people. But that idea of, we're doing this thing and now it's your monologue, so I will sit and listen to it. That's so unhelpful. However, if you've got this thing you're saying to me and I'm uninterested in that and I get up and start to go do the dishes, that's much more useful to you because it gives you something to respond against. And it's that idea of be engaged with your scene partner. Don't make them feel just because they've got a monologue that you're going to let them get to the end of it. Because how often in your life when you go off for 30 seconds in a conversation, are you sure that you've got 30 seconds to say it? Not often. You, hopefully you've got to keep people's interest long enough for them to not interrupt you. You know, and you want to keep that reality. And another thing is, 
whole bunch of things. But something that, that I would just like to take for granted as working in here is that idea of giving your character efficacy. Let your character be smart. Let your character be good at what they do. If your character fails, let them fail because you've piled so many obstacles up and not because you've decided they're not good at what they do. Go out there and be the best you you can. Be the best them that they can. Let every scene be a scene between titans battling it out rather than between weak people flopping their way through the world. Because seriously, who gives a shit? Don't show up to lose. Make them beat you. Make the other person beat you. And yes, you can give yourself stuff to work on that puts you in, at a, an incredible disadvantage. But put yourself at a disadvantage rather than being less than you're capable of being. Being dumber than you're capable of being. If your character needs to be dumber than you are, give them a bigger problem to solve rather than trying to pretend that you're not as smart as you are. That's what's going to make it truthful. That's what's going to let it come from you. And the last major thing that I want to talk about before we wrap up, which is important, is the idea of the goal-driven rehearsing, which is really kind of the hopefully big thing that you're going to take away from this. And what that means is, we actually have it painted up on our wall here, what are you working on? And the idea of it is this, is that it's about exploring a scene rather than trying a scene over and over again. That it's about exploring your relationship to this scene. And that idea of letting rehearsal be not about polishing a performance, but finding out what happens to you. What happens to you when you make this the most important thing about the scene? What happens to you when you try this objective and try it in every single moment of the scene? What happens to you when you focus on this piece of your character history and let it live in every single moment of the scene? Because what you're going to find is that, one, if you decide, again, I'm going to try this thing, and this time we're going to run the scene, and the whole time I'm going to try to get Jenny to ally with me against you. That's what I'm doing the entire scene. That's not what the scene really is. But that's what we're doing this run-through. That's what we're going to try. One is, we're going to find a ton of times that, well, not a ton. We'll find times, I will almost guarantee it, that I never would have thought of trying to get Jenny to, to ally with me against you. But when that's what I'm doing, it makes that moment really interesting. It makes that moment really interesting. It makes the moment mean something different that's potentially very helpful. That's good. I'm going to file that away. I'm going to file that away as information that I know about my relationship with the scene. So that... No, no, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. <laughs> you know, but also what's going to happen is, it's again, it's that strong and wrong thing. There is no way the scene can be right if all I do, all scene, is try to get Jenny to ally with me against you. It's not, not going to be right. But what will happen is, with that focus... Your subconscious is going to feed up other stuff you need because I'm focusing on this one very specific thing. I'm not working on the other stuff. So then I'm going to mention my mom and there's going to be this whole thing about my mom because I'm not thinking about her because I need something about her and your subconscious feeds you up really useful stuff. 
And it's that idea of exploring a scene. And it's, it's uh, again, a Gene Laska thing that I always loved that, that he always said is that Christopher Columbus was an explorer, but he knew what he was looking for. He found something else. But if he hadn't set off for India, he'd just be floating around off the coast of Portugal. And I would argue that many, many actors spend their entire rehearsal process floating off the coast of Portugal. <laughs> Word. <Yeah>. But <laughs> by getting in the boat and heading west, trying to find India, he found the New World. Wasn't what he was looking for, but it's when he set off someplace that he found the thing that was useful. Maybe you would have found India if there had, you know, but maybe sometimes you do find what you're looking for, but you always find, almost always find something. And the thing is, is the question that we're, thing that you're going to hear me say over and over again as we're working in here is, let's see what happens if. That's what we're doing. Let's see what happens if. And I mean that, I will always mean that genuinely. And we should all be searching to mean that genuinely. I think that's what you, when you want to explore something, you're going to say, let's see what happens if. What I'm trying to make happen in this scene is this. Let's see what happens if I'm coming from being fired by my boss. Let's see what happens if this is the room where my grandmother died. And that's what I'm focusing on the whole scene. And we'll find out. We'll find out what we learned. And then hopefully we will write down what we've learned. That's the other part of it. Is you run it with something very specific in mind, and then you write down what that does for you. And what that does is that it does two things, which is one, it makes the play digestible. It makes the scene digestible. Because there's any number of times where you're sitting there and you're going, you know, oh God, okay, so I'm in this apartment and uh, she's my girlfriend and uh, he's my brother who's, you know, come and he's mad at me about this and also I got fired from my job and I'm trying, okay, acting! And yet, as another Tim Davisism, you approximate the play. And you keep approximating the play over and over and over again until you open. And another Tim Davis, I love that he said that people, he said, I've heard people say, <laughs> I've heard people say that this play was over-rehearsed. And he said, I don't think that's possible. What I think people usually mean when they say that is, it's been under-rehearsed a lot. <laughs> but, um, but it makes the play digestible because what you're saying is, you know, that, okay, this takes place in my grandmother's living room. I'm going to spend a whole run just making every single line about the fact that it's taking place here. And what is that going to mean? It's like when we're talking, so we're like, yeah, I'm going to try to remind you of the fact that we're here. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be telling, I mean, whatever, there's any number of different things. We'll see as we get up the kind of different things. But literally, to make every single line about this is in my grandmother's living room in one way or another. And what we will find, you'll say, but okay, but there's a million different things that are true about that. You're gonna spend an entire 10 minute run of this working on the fact that this is your grandmother's living room, but what you will end up at the end of that is, well one is the digestible thing, that's an element. So we're gonna explore what that element has, how that element helps me or doesn't help me in the scene. But what happens is, at the end of a 10 minute run, you've figured out the role that grandmother, that you're living in grandma's, uh, that, that this is happening in grandma's living room, has on the scene. You've given it an opportunity, instead of every time you run it, having that being taking up 10% of your effort, you've given one run to it where that is the only thing you're focusing on. You let it touch literally every single syllable of the scene. 
and you can see where it's helpful, what it does. You know, that's a great way to spend 10 minutes. I have figured out what the way that this impact, the fact that this takes place in my grandmother's room impacts me. I figured that out. I'm done. I don't have to work on it anymore. And even if the thing that you learn is this was totally unhelpful, you've spent 10 minutes and now don't have to work on it anymore. Now you don't have to spend a little part of every single run of this scene trying to figure out what your grandmother's room has to do with it. That's, and so what it turns is every single run that you do of something into a measurable step forward towards your understanding of the scene. Because how often has it happened to you? It also, again, makes it measurable. Because how often has it happened to you that you've been in rehearsal, you've done, you've been working your way through the scene and doing all this stuff and this, and then the director, oh, that thing about the music box was great. Keep that. And you go, I don't know what I was doing. I don't know what I was doing. Well, what was it? Well, you were like really kind of sad and you looked at, okay, I guess I'll be kind of sad and look at the thing. Whereas... If you're working on, this is taking place in my grandmother's living room, you'll be able to say, you know, that thing you did with the music box. Oh, right, because as I was looking at it, I was remembering that, that grandma always used to play that. Great, I know what made me do that. I don't have to play at the result that the director's asking for. I know what the stimulus was that made that do it. It becomes repeatable. It becomes measurable. And again, it's that idea of exploration of the scene, and not in a touchy-feely way, but really a methodical exploration, again, of your relationship to the scene. And that's what we're going to be doing in here, is every time we run it, what we'll do is actually we'll ask one of the scene partners to go out in the hallway for a couple minutes, talk to, to the other person, say, all right, what do you want to work on this time? And we'll talk it through until we find something that we're sure is clear and kind of meets all of these, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know that we think is going to be useful. Send them out in the hall. Have the other person come in. We'll talk about what they're going to be working on. And then I find, especially when it's, you're early on working, this way, it's really helpful to know that everyone watching it knows what you're working on because it keeps you honest. It keeps you honest. All these people know what I'm working on, and they're going to know if I stop working on it. And then we're going to try it. We're going to say, "All right, you're working on this. You're working on this. Let's see what happens." Scene. And then we're going to say, "Oh." It, the, the question is, okay, and what did you learn? Those are the two key questions of this, is what are you working on before you go, and then afterwards, what did you learn? And I will just say this ahead of time, I'll say, because there is nothing like an actor to snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. What we're always looking for is what did you learn? What did you learn? Part of it is, again, if we're working on something incredibly specific that's there for every single moment of the scene, not all of it's going to be right. Some of it's not going to make any fucking sense at all. Some of it's going to make so much more sense than you ever could have imagined it would have made sense because it never would have occurred to you to make it make sense in the light of the specific thing that you're working on. But, where did I start that thought? No, yeah, that... that, that <laughs> is that... Is that it's, let's always endeavor to talk about, and when you're rehearsing independently, to think about, what did I learn this time through? Again, it's a five-minute scene. If the only thing you learned was this one line made a very special kind of sense that got me really excited and something I could get by. that's a great way to spend five minutes. Great way to spend five minutes. That's great. And I'll almost guarantee you, you'll learn more. And then, again, what I recommend is have a notebook and just write down, when I worked on this, 
these are the things that happened. This line meant this thing, this section, I was, I was much angrier at him than I usually was. You know, this line meant something different than I thought it did. When he said this to me, I thought he was referring to this totally other thing that it never occurred to me he could be referring to. And then that made me respond this way. And it's like, okay, that's what I've learned. Next time I'm going to try something different. I'm going to keep notes of that. And then what happens is once you've tried all these different things and figure out all these different ways that this scene can affect you and you can work on different things, you can step back and say, all right, now I want to stitch this scene together. And I know this section, because my director's asking me to, because I know what it is, should be about this, and this should be like this. And, all right, what have I done that makes me respond that way? That makes me organically respond that way? And that way, I need to just find a way that it's like, oh, the director makes me, wants me to be really angry and tip shit over. I remember the time I got really angry and tip shit over was the time I was working on this. So I'll make sure that that section of the scene is about that. If it made you do it when you were working on it the first time, it will make you do it every time. It will bring that response out of you. And again, what we're exploring is not the scene and what is right, but we are exploring what your relationship to the scene is, what your intellectual and emotional and moral constellation of truths about you do when they interact with this scene and something specific that you're working on. That's what we're trying to figure out. And it's that idea, again, going back to that the talent is in the choice. What the goal-oriented process is about, the goal-driven rehearsal process is about, is about giving you choices. Measurable, identifiable choices. Rather than coming in and being like, I'm going to do this scene one rehearsal better than I did it the last time. So this time I'm going to figure out this thing about the scene. That's what I'm going to do today. You know, and it can be, you know, for instance, like in a rehearsal setting, today I'm figuring out my relationship with your character. That's what I'm doing today. So the first run I might work on something about our history. The next run I might work on something about, again, trying to get Jenny to ally with me against you. The next time I might be working on the fact that you're wearing my grandmother's ring. You know, if I've already figured out my grandmother's important to me. Etc., 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 etc. But, you know, I can try a bunch of very specific things in each run that are adding up to my goal for today is to figure out my relationship with Kelsey's character. But again, that idea of if you can walk out of a rehearsal, because I know people have heard this the first time and been like, but oh my God, doesn't that take forever? It actually is a much more efficient way of doing things because you've actually, again, you're, you're able to identify what you learned rather than just saying that felt good today. I hope it feels good tomorrow. You'll know how to make it feel good. And anyway, those are the large concepts that we're going to be working with. And we're going to get up and we're going to start working and we're going to really work on scenes. It's going to be almost an entirely practical class about getting up and working. But I always do like to take the first class to really sort of go over these concepts so that when we start digging into them, they'll be familiar. They'll be familiar when we start saying, what are you working on? You have some context for why we want to talk about what um, at least in the context of this class. And again, I hope you guys will really embrace these elements of approach for the things you work on in here. And then the same way that it's about figuring out your relationship to a scene, it's about figuring out your relationship, this class hopefully, it's going to be about figuring out your relationship to these techniques. Are they something that you want to make a really important part of how you approach every role? Is it something that really helps you solve a certain kind of problem? And then you'll have it.
as something that's in your, your tool bag and your kit. Be ready to surprise yourself. That's the goal. That's the goal is not to come in and work on something that you know what it's going to do, but to work on something so that when you get to the end, you're going like, wow, I learned stuff because I didn't know what that was going to do. And again, I will be helping you guys, Jenny of QTO helping you guys, and then you guys will be helping you guys once we've been doing it to kind of shape what is going to be a useful thing, what thing is really specific enough to work on that is going to result in discovery, because that's what we're aiming. And critically, and this is something I just think is true about everything, risk-sucking. Risk-sucking. You will never do your best work ever if you're doing something you know is safe and you know is going to be fine. And it's something I say <coughs> to my actors whenever I'm directing. It's like, you've got to go out there and you've got to work on a high wire. You've got to risk-sucking. Because I would rather any day of the week have, you know, Six of the eight shows each week be amazing because you are just out there being just out there on a high wire and challenging yourself and risking and not doing what's safe and have two shows suck because you fell off the wire. Now, the trick of it is those two shows won't actually suck as long as you're up there on the wire. It'll be interesting to watch. It might do something weird, but, you know, it will be weird and interesting. Uh, and a big part of it is that idea, all of this is about, if you guys want to be actors for your life and for your career, there are too many people out here trying to do it for you to be able to make it without being unique and extraordinary. And those are the two things that this class is all about. One, figuring out what makes you like no one else and then harnessing that thing to give a performance that drives from the things that are most centrally true about the world as you understand it. That's going to be the goal here. You want to be sure that if you play Hamlet, that your Hamlet is a meaningful phrase. And it's actually something my life, and it's, it's a place where I go all the time when I'm looking for inspiration. My favorite thing in the world, you guys know Sunday in the Park with George? That it's just, it is literally my favorite thing. There's parts of it that don't work as well as others, but the parts that work so well are the best things ever. And whenever I'm looking for inspiration about anything, I always listen to Move On, the last song. And this song is just beautiful. Seriously, that song in three minutes says everything you need to know about absolutely anything. It's so good. But the beginning of it with all of that... No, seriously, it is the secret to everything. Um, and certainly the secret to acting. And also, seriously, if you guys know it and love it, listen to it tonight. Every single thing we've talked about tonight is in that song. Every single thing we've talked about tonight is in that song. I swear, listen to it, it's true. But the beginning of that song starts out again with the ghost of this woman from the 1800s talking to this guy who's depressed about uh, his career and the fact that his grandmother died. She says, are you working on something new? Again, thinking that he's her former lover. He says, no. He says, that's not like you, George. And he says, I have nothing to say. She says, you have many things. He says, well, nothing that's not been said. And she says, said by you, though, George. Which seems to me to be the entire point and the entire thing we're talking about here, that there is something in art, and I don't like to get around floppy about you want to be art, but in art, that is the thing, is the extent to which the artist is there and alive 
That's what we're talking about. It's all about said by you, though, George. That idea that when you're playing Hamlet, your job is not to report on Hamlet. Your job is to report on, is to express your understanding of the world through the person of Hamlet. That's what you're there to do. That is the performance that only you can give. We hope that you enjoyed listening in on this first session of the performance only you can give. If you are interested in being a part of the next session of our scene study class and finding the performance that only you can give, email willclark at classes at cryhavacompany.org. Mention that you heard about the class on the podcast for a special first-time student discount. And if you are interested in learning more about other classes Cryhavoc offers, please visit www.cryhavoccompany.org slash classes. So for myself, Kit, Jenny, and everyone at the Cry Havoc Company, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.